1: Typically, the sirens read, research, and dive into a challenge before recording. However, the format for this show will be a little different because we have an exclusive interview with Loveland's dynamic duo, Marvel Rich Ferguson, and her grandniece, Jeanette Jackson, who teamed up to write a fictional novel full of local history, Hunting Wildflowers. The team began writing when Marvel was 98 years young. Publication arrived just after her 103rd birthday. Hunting Wildflowers follows love letters from a time period crucial to American history, the Great Depression. These letters, written between two people in the Goshen-Loveland area of greater Cincinnati, expose the hard facts of rural life at that time. Their story brings that time period to life while focusing on modern-day struggles of a younger woman and the wisdom of an aging aunt. Jeanette and Marvel, thank you ladies so much for joining us today.
2: You're welcome.
1: Thank you. We're curious, have either of you written a book before and what inspired you to write Wildflowers?
3: No, we've never written a book before. So I've always thought, you know, I think everybody has one good book in them.
2: (laughs) I like to to read, but I sure don't like to write. (laughs) Write a book.
3: Right. So, yeah, we've both been avid readers our whole lives.
2: Yeah. So what
0: changed your mind? What got you to write this one? Yeah.
3: Well, again, um, it is a historical fiction, but it was inspired by some um, love letters that we found written to her grandfather during the Great Depression. And so I I started reading them to her and um, the backstory was more interesting than the letters, I thought. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, you know then COVID hit and, and I moved in with my aunt and I thought this was a blessing um to to be able to take off work and stay with my aunt and and just I wanted to take the time to document all of this so what she was telling me it took me five years altogether two years before COVID and then two years during COVID that's when we really hit our group
2: <laughs> <laughs> so
1: You're a great aunt, great niece writing team, and the main characters have the same relationship. And you just said it was inspired based on uh, love letters. Are there any more parallels to reality in the book?
3: Uh, You you know, I did eight manuscripts. um, So Mm -hmm. I I kept when I first decided to do this, to share it with the world, it was just going to be based on the love letters because we wanted to, which is the whole reason we did the book is to show a lifestyle that no longer exists and that, you know, my aunt doesn't want forgotten. And so then I, yeah, then it was just going to be the love letters. Then I decided, Ooh, let's throw some Loveland history into it and maybe not being a good writer. I not really do that without throwing the aunt and the niece into it. That was manuscript freak, <laughs> <laughs> And I just kept adding more complex levels um so i think the fourth or fifth one i decided to make the woman in the letter and the modern day niece i gave the women similarities so um and a lot of this stuff is kind of subtle but people are picking up on it just so you can judge for yourself what women have or haven't gained in the last 80 years Um, and then at the very end i decided to uh add in the, the faces of Loveland, the face that she grew up in Loveland, what Loveland looked like in the 50s and what Loveland looked like today. And, and again, I at that point, I was thinking, you know, I'm going to write this so that this book will be history in about 20 years. But so we touch on the gentrification a little bit because that's not unique to Loveland. Right. Um, in the book, Denise will Google things. Who knows in 20 years if Google's going to be around, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's fun to think about. So I put little mm-hmm. dynamics in there like that, so, so maybe one day the modern will be history, too. So
0: so you mentioned that you wanted to write this story or this book, I guess, after you found some love letters and you wanted to document your aunt's um, stories. Do you have a favorite story that Marvel told
1: you yeah.
0: or Marvel do you have a favorite story to tell?
2: What favorite stories do I have to tell? Any any
3: story that we put in the book, was any one in particular your favorite?
2: No, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't think it was any favorite.
1: How do you think Loveland has changed over the years?
2: Well, in the last, I would say, 10 years, more than it had in the last 100 <laughs> before that. especially people that put in a four-lane bridge over the river and then drop the roadway down to two lanes. That that really takes smart thinking, doesn't it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that does seem a little crazy. Uh,
1: They need more parking, that's for sure. (laughs) We were driving through Loveland the
3: other day and um, Mm -hmm. going down River Road because that pretty much looks the same. And I'm like, you know, they actually turned this parking lot where the dry cleaner is into a a parking lot for the community and build a passenger um, bridge. You know, people park on the Hamilton County side and walk over to the other side. That would relieve some of the congestion.
0: Yeah, it sounds like that. Yeah. So while you two are working together, did um, did you guys learn anything new about each other? How was that working together on this book?
2: Oh fine, I just let Jeanette have her way.
0: <laughs> Jeanette had creative freedom, huh? Yeah,
2: Out better that way. <laughs> oh, she's very thoughtful. So,
3: well, it, it was helpful for me. And well, like I said, when we hit our strides during COVID, so she would tell me a story over breakfast and then she would take her afternoon nap and I would sit down and, and write the the story. And then at evening before dinner, I'd read to her what I had what written. And, um, and I'm glad I did that because there were a lot of little things I missed or, or got wrong um, just because I, I didn't live during the Great Depression as far as like um, some of this stuff about the horses and, you know, Jeanette, that would have been a mud road. You couldn't have done this, that or the other. Just things like that, that I would have erred in if it had been for her wisdom. So
0: <laughs> that's that's really cool. Mm hmm.
3: Yeah. After we wrote the book, I started finding things in her house that she had described to me in the book, which was kind of neat. Um, and the, the the biggest find was, and and if we all know anyone that's lived through the great depression, we know they don't throw anything away, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I found, um, the carriage lantern, right, is mm-hmm. the correct word. Yeah. That Grandpa mm-hmm. really did have on his horse and buggy when he traveled from Goshen to uh, Owensville, and that that was a four-hour commute by horse and buggy. Wow.
1: Today, oh, that'd wow. be like
3: forty minutes by car, if that.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, so uh, so it, it's a it hung down by the axle. This this little lamp, and it had a. a oil in it or kerosene. So it was a, a light um, and it had a little red light in the back and a clear light in the front. That way, if someone was coming up behind you, because at that time they were just putting cars on the street, right?
2: Well, yeah, not too many but it up. Not, a, yeah. It <clears throat> so, the uh, the uh, lantern hung from the axle, the rear axle on the wagon or buggy or whatever there's pulling.
3: So that just having that little red light would help a a car see that there's something up ahead. And then the front of the carriage light would shine through the horse's legs and hit the road. And and that's all the light you had. And again, these were, if you were lucky, muddy roads, um, sometimes gravel, sometimes just a, a horse path. So, I mean, things like that that I learned I found fascinating you know four hours from Goshen to Owensville wow. and uh, so he yeah he would go meet this lady and uh, they'd hunt wild flowers and then he'd cut her some firewood because she had no electricity and four hour trip back and that's what he did on his day off
0: <laughs> that, that's a long commute. Wow. yeah <laughs> 49
2: years old
0: so did you say 29 years old Forty nine. Oh, 49. Yeah.
2: Well
3: no grandpa oh, he, at that he, time he, was he, about seventy five. Oh yeah.
0: No, he was close to eighty. So wait, he was close to eighty making
2: this trip? Yeah. Exactly. Well he farmed. He had uh he had a thirty acre farm of his own and then to put in other crops besides for people.
3: He was a very busy man. And some of the stories that she tells, um, it is like when they would collect, he would collect cream from the the farmers out here in Goshen. And then he would go to Kazaddale and drop it off and they'd ship it to Cincinnati. Um, And then he had an egg route, which was in Loveland. So on Saturdays, he would take his eggs to Loveland. And then he also um, took care of other people's um, farms on the share. And even to this day, my aunt right here still farms on the share. (laughs) Wow. She owns the land and then someone else comes in and takes care of it and she gets a percentage.
2: Wow.
3: Things like that, sharecropping or whatever, you think that's ancient history, right? But now we're doing it right outside Loveland.
0: (laughs) That is fascinating. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: I still can't get over this 80 year old man traveling four hours, chopping firewood for this woman and then coming back home for hours. I
3: think that's why the men that read the book really like it. They they see themselves being that way when they're
0: 75 and 80. <laughs> Just love to picture the two of you sitting around and telling stories and listening to stories. That That is such a neat ritual to picture. Mm-hmm. What were you guys doing during that time? Just to give us a clearer picture of what that was like. I mean, were you sitting in the kitchen? Were you cooking? What were you guys doing?
2: Just whatever happened to be going on at the time. See,
3: most of our conversations were in the kitchen. And and I do um, mm. kind of, you know, document a lot of those kitchen conversations um, and and, I mean, it's in the book. It says we're in the kitchen. The dogs are running oh, okay. through, blah, blah, blah. So, um, oh, before I... All of the animals in the book go by their real names.
0: Good
2: to know.
3: That <laughs> is good to know. <laughs> so, there really was a cow named Nancy. <laughs>
2: uh-huh. First staff first we had uh, raised to a cow.
3: I think one of the stories in the book, um, during the Great Depression, her brother uh, was getting paid 50 50 cents a day for work. And I I forget what he was doing, but anyway, they didn't have the money to pay him, so they gave him a calf.
2: Well, (laughs) they had had the money, but the cow that had the calf didn't want to uh, raise, uh, they didn't keep the calves, but uh, they usually had to have the first milk uh, because it was cholesterol for him to have and uh, they they couldn't get the calf to drink the cow would go to the calf so he had worked there for a day to so that's grandfather my brother and uh, they gave him the calf for uh, door to work down there that day and he brought up brought her home and he brought uh I don't know when they sent, I doubt when they sent "Home, but mom, sent it back after." They call it the cholesterol the first uh, milk that uh, is put down, and they, women have that too if they breastfeed. It's a uh, it's nature's way of giving you immunity to the uh, major problems that could happen when you're younger, and. Uh, so she she raised a calf and we named her Nancy. No, I love yeah.
1: that. <laughs> well,
2: and
3: this was in the 1930s, and Nancy was still alive when I was a kid in the 70s. Oh wow! What? Yeah. Wow! So these are just little things I learned, you know, listening to her stories. I'm like, wait a minute.
1: <laughs> What's that- in the What's in the water over by you guys? You guys have good genes and everybody's around for a good long time.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's just, um, hard work. You know, when people ask me what my aunt has done all of her life, it really has been. It's just hard work. No processed food. I mean, she Mm. up eating what they raised and and what they grew. And, and I say this with all love in my heart, but if it ran across the yard, they ate it. So, um, and there, a lot of people tell me that's one of their favorite stories in in the book. Is uh, I think I was about nine years old and I found a groundhog in the refrigerator in the basement. <laughs> scared me to death. I bet. Uh, but wow. uh, yeah, I said that. I think that's what it is—just being active and in no processed food. That's good advice.
2: We uh, did do much canning, but we had a garden every year, raised our own potatoes, but we didn't can much because Bob and I milked mm-hmm. I took too much time out for that. So it was better to have an extra belt to send than to buy canned food. Mm-hmm.
1: I always had eggs. Yeah. They're so expensive
3: now. <laughs> they sure are. We ran across a um, a recipe the other day, and I recognized it being my great grandmother's handwriting, Aunt Marvel's uh, mom, and it was an eggless, butterless cake. And it was real popular during um, the war because it okay. yeah it wasn't oh it was depression yeah okay because for most people you couldn't get eggs and butter then. And so we made it and it, it was actually pretty good it kind of reminded me of like a a banana bread without the mm-hmm. banana huh.
2: That's good.
3: Yeah. yeah it tastes like a bread yeah. a thick bread yeah so if I, I make it again i think i'll throw some walnuts in it there you go so see that yeah without eggs and and without butter we've got the recipe don't we yeah <laughs> We we put it out there on Facebook. A couple of people have made it, I think, by now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll have to try that.
0: Heck yeah,
3: yeah. I know that was one of the questions you were going to ask. I'm sorry if I jumped the gun. How to find us? I have a Facebook page, in, and and um, it's actually Loveland five one three. I couldn't believe that was available. That wasn't my first choice, <laughs> but I've been finding all kinds of Loveland things. And taking pictures of them and posting them on that page. Like we, I found a little tiny little pharmacy book from um, a pharmacist right there in Loveland that she used to work for. Yeah, oh, Spears cool. Pharmacy. I just today came across some receipts um, from a mechanic. Uh, I think his name is Red um, in Loveland on Omen 2nd. <laughs> it's really neat to see these things.
2: Oh uh, yeah, definitely yeah littles not out of there that's gonna be a public park,
0: right.
3: I was gonna ask you if that was the same one.
2: Mm-hmm. So
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there was a receipt in there. I think Uncle Lonnie had some work done on something.
2: Uh-huh.
3: yeah, so just fun things like that we I've been finding and,
0: and posting pictures of. So why do you think it's important to? Preserve local history and honor that lifestyle that no longer exists.
2: Because Most people they oh, won't believe it did exist <laughs> if it's written
0: down. Yeah, it, it is kind of hard to. It's hard to imagine living without all of the modern amenities that we have. So you're right. If it's not written down, we may not believe it ever happened.
3: <laughs> so. Um... One of the questions you asked earlier was like, I guess I have a favorite chapter, and it's um called uh, Windrose and Snow Drips. And that's one of my favorites, um, especially with all the snow we have on the ground right now, because she talks about how they survived um, then. With, to yeah, remember, there's no electricity. And, and, and I asked her, I'm like, how, how often did you take a bath? And she said, as as least as possible. (laughs) And she tells you what they had to go through just to take a bath, you know? Um, She had like three
2: dresses to wear all week. No, I I watched uh, all year. I wore two dresses. One dress the first uh, week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I wore a clean dress uh, Thursday and Friday. Then I had that dress to start out with the next day and then. had done much for the last three days. We washed, had mm-hmm. to wash, by, well, for a long time, mom washed on board, you know, a board. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, you know, you had to do with what you had to do with.
3: And that was one of my other favorite stories, where she explains how you do your laundry. And, and it just makes me feel like, Shame on me for complaining about laundry because all I have to do is carry it to the machine and push a button. Right? They had to go to the pond and haul water into the house, warm it up on this stove. Um,
2: well, <laughs> and it, that time that we hauled was the, the year that, that we had to drought and we had to haul water. Me, well, everything went dry pretty much around and you haul the water. We had a, the car had a they had their gallon tank all, all, but, and we had whole lot water for the cows to drink. Oh, oh, oh yeah. yeah. We wow. did not have a, a pond to go through here you know, or a pond at that time.
0: I bet cows need a lot of water each day yeah. also. Do.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I
3: I would say her family is probably one of the more well to do families during the depression because um like they, they didn't go hungry. Yeah. You know, they were able to grow and, and and raise whatever they needed. Plus her father worked 3 days a week at Peter's Cartridge out here in Kings Mill area. Yeah. So he
2: retired from
3: mm-hmm. there. And the book talks about how important Peter's cartridge um, was to this community for a long time. So it it sounds like from the stories I was hearing from my aunt, they they pretty much employed everybody, mm-hmm. um, and that's one of the reasons why a lot of people came to this area was to get a job at Bet Peters.
2: Mm-hmm. Got out of the coal mines, you could get away from them, and then, be one Somebody from their family come up around, look the place over, and then word and went back. And then the uh, favorite uh, st- song that used to be crossed over the bridge because on Thursday, Friday nights, the uh, people that lived in Kentucky, Tennessee, and, and down there around there, they got off work and they headed for home. That was a strange <laughs> <laughs> One car right after another, headed for home. Mm-hmm. Wow,
3: and I think that's still true today. A lot of people that um live in the area that have Kentucky roots yeah. still consider Kentucky home. They might have been up here now for thirty years, but Kentucky's still home.
1: <laughs> so yeah, my grandfather grew up in the Great Depression and he um when he was an older adult would not eat onions because that's all he ate during the Great Depression and he couldn't. Really? I understand it, yeah.
2: Um, They have a garden because they raise other things besides onions.
1: They were very poor and I know that that was the only thing that they could afford and he uh, had just lost his parents, I believe, and it was his older sisters taking care of him. but that was the only thing I really knew about the Great Depression from him was that that's all they ate was onions. That's what I thought everybody did for the longest time.
2: (laughs) Probably quite a few did. What part, more best Was he raised? Born raised? He
1: yeah. was born in Poland, and then he came over to America around the Great Depression, and they were in the uh, New York, New Jersey area.
3: Oh, mm. well, my aunt here won't drink uh, milk, and and she's been milking. <laughs> and how how when, how old were you when you started
2: milking? Mm-hmm. I milked. I guess about. 13,
3: 14, up like there. Mm-hmm. So she's probably been milking cows for about 70
2: years. <laughs> <No, laughs> won't drink milk. No, good saying. Yeah,
0: I wouldn't drink milk either, probably.
2: Really?
0: Well, actually, I I don't have to milk cows and I still don't care to drink milk. So I get it.
2: No. <laughs> yeah. You you milk cows?
0: Yeah, I, I said I don't have to milk cows and I still won't drink milk. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Well, I milked out, but I couldn't drink the milk. No.
1: So, Marvel, do you have any advice for today's generation? Oh, goodness, no. No? <laughs> Are we yeah. too far gone?
2: <laughs> well, try to do the best you can with what you have. And try to be pleasant, even if sometimes you don't feel like it. <laughs> That's good advice. Don't that make is. It, but I tried to. And hopefully they have a a good niece or great niece or granddaughter or something that's that's as thoughtful with them as as Jeanette is with me.
0: I hope that as well. I hope that I have a family that that Mm -hmm. I can be that close to.
3: And when I I was writing this, I I tried to write it in a way too that, um, because I was thinking of my own nieces that somebody you know around the age of nine or ten would read it and uh get something out of it too if nothing else just to appreciate what we
0: have in the lifestyles that we have today so what advice do you have for someone who would like to write a fiction book but base it on local history
3: well go to the source (laughs) someone who's lived it and uh and that that was that was fun um because after I, I wrote the eighth manuscript, and I had a beta readers group, and I had other um, fact checkers, and and everything my aunt told me was accurate. And, so, and, and again, she was telling me these stories between 98 years old to 103, and everything she's told me about Loveland, and Goshen, and Kazajib, it all checked out. Nobody could find anything wrong.
2: Wow.
1: So what a that, memory. I know. I could barely remember what happened last week. I was I was oh trying
0: God. really hard to remember what I did on Friday night a few hours ago.
3: <laughs> we had a we were interviewed by um the Goshen Historical Society and right from the get-go, they, they start asking her, who was your kindergarten teacher? And she just whips out the name. Who was your principal? She whips out the name. And I'm thinking, I can't even do that. No. <laughs> There's no way. So, that's impressive. Mhm. She remembered the name of the three doctors that were in town and here's a, a story that didn't make it in the book that's kind of fun. Um she's worked um in a law office. She's like I said she worked at a pharmacist. Um she worked at a doctor's office, assisted in surgery and this was all in the 30s and the 40s, but the job she wanted she wanted to be an airline stewardess mm-hmm. and she couldn't get that job because you needed to have a degree. You need to be an RN to be an airline stewardess
2: and
3: oh. that's something that is interesting.
0: Yeah. yeah I didn't know that. Wow.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we ask all of our guests this question and we would love to hear your answer as well. What gets you ladies out of your comfort zone and excited to explore?
2: Uh, not much amazing. It's like being more. You've know, been saying more. that since she's been a hundred. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's just another Christmas. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, no, I, I talking with you ladies. Um, it, it gets us out of our comfort zone. It's something new for us, and but it, exciting, and um, we're we're glad that people are interested in in the book, and and what it has to say. So again, it just uh it's just documenting a way of life that no longer exists.
2: And we sat at the kitchen table each night after mm-hmm. after supper books. You know,
3: I had fun with the characters just to make the story more interesting. So that a lot of different people have come after it's like, well who is Lillian and how much of that really is you and blah blah blah. <laughs> And it's it's not all true that the characters are characters, and, and that was hard for us in the beginning. And I didn't realize that um, writing a book that it, I mean, it literally took me like eight months to get it out of my head, and, and my my story editor had to help me. She, You're not writing about yourself, Jeanette. You're not writing about yourself. And then once I got over that hurdle, then it, it took my aunt here about another six months. It's like I. I'm not talking about you or like um, like I said, we she'd tell me a story in the morning and like I'd write it up and then read it to her at night and she'd say, well, that's not how it happened, but your way is more entertaining <laughs> <laughs> so and then 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 I knew she she got the fact that okay, this is the fiction part, Aunt Marvel, this is where we have fun and we can do whatever we want with these people. <laughs> so because there was a few things i i wrote in there when i i tried to make the niece like i said the niece and and lillian the the lover in the love letters have some similarities so you could make these comparisons of what women have or haven't done and i'm thinking when i wrote some of this i'm like oh my god people are going to think i actually did this or people are going to think i slept with my contractors or you know <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to make this comparison in and you know time because women are still perceived in a lot of ways um that aren't so negative, um, even though we've we've gained a lot in, in certain areas. So, but uh yeah, that, that was kind of hard to 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 realize I'm not I'm not writing about myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well yeah because especially if this was your first book you know you're mm-hmm. you what you know is yourself so mm-hmm. I can see how developing a character would take some work
3: right so so and now everybody's already asking me is there a sequel you know and I'm like oh my goodness because <laughs> that that was pretty that probably was that that was the most stressful part for me is starting to to write this at 98 never written before i went to um women writing for change for two years on fridays i took fridays off work so i could just learn the technical aspects of writing and and trying to do this with hopes and prayers that my my aunt will live long enough to see it you know i knew it was a good story but
2: (laughs) that's
1: why you're here but I didn't know, you know, am I going to
3: have the ability to pull this off? And then, um, we went with the local publisher because again, I wanted her to see the book finished and, yeah. and that's turned out to be a good, a good decision too to go with a local, local publisher. Okay. So. Good. But cool. yeah, that's probably the most stressful part for me is, is it still took me five years and, uh, But I think that's the average from what I hear. About takes about five years to write a book. Wow! I went,
0: Elsie.
1: Yeah, I just (laughs) I took a book writing boot camp this week, and they said anywhere between like two to five, maybe six or seven years. It's a quite a process. Yeah,
3: it is. And the and the thing, I went to a few workshops myself too, in addition to my classes, and there was a lady who could just finished or was close to finishing her manuscript. And she'd been working on it for 10 years. Wow. And, and she's like, ladies, let me tell you, you are not the same person that you were 10 years ago when you started writing this book. So get it done fast. <laughs> <laughs> That's good advice. <laughs> yeah. And, well, and like I said, you know, um, I rewrote, it's what it felt like, a rewrite this book, eight different times within five years, like, ooh. I need to add this element to it. Ooh, it'd be fun to add this. At one point, I almost made Lillian a ghost, you know, pursuing the the niece in the future, but I didn't take that route. (laughs) (laughs) Left that one out. But um, yeah, so it just kind of took a form of its own. Mm -hmm. So
0: I know sometimes when I read a book and the book is over, I miss the characters. Do you miss the characters that you created?
3: No, no, but I've really been enjoying hearing the feedback, Um, and a a lot of people are really enjoying reading about the places that they know. Um, Very early on, somebody said, as soon as I finished reading the book, we went to every place listed in the book, and we're thinking, where? (laughs) You know? And, and they're like, well, oh, we went to Hill Station. And then we went to the Kazaddale General Store. And then we went to that, the... That, o- that. Lady,
2: that lady was real thrilled. With you, yeah. Right? They they put a lot of work in that store the past 10 years.
3: Yeah, the Kazaddale General Store, it, it's in a new location. It's still operating. Exactly. But it, it looks like... Well,
2: that originally, that store has always been there. That was Ellsworth's store. Tigers was down over the hill that burnt down. Mm-hmm. And see Mary was Els She was an only child. Dottie was the only child. Their are putting them two stores is in Kazanti.
3: But it still looks like what you think a general store would look like. Oh cool. Yeah. Um even the sign out front and um
2: I so did, did, well she does she redone the sign, did she, if she found out? No,
3: no, it's still no, it's updated, but after I started hearing people saying that they were driving to these places, I stopped and introduced myself to the lady that owns the store, and I'm like, "Well, oh, you might start seeing a lot of strangers." Dale <laughs> <laughs> is really tiny. In the book, I say, and it's true, there's only two reasons why you'd want to go there: to fish or to go to church. I think there are more people who go to church there than actually live there. But they do have this little tiny general store. Oh,
2: did you, did you, did you see the street back? We you go straight through? Yeah, they're
3: building some new homes back there. Yeah. So, but anyway, I, I was just surprised that people were doing that. I, I just told my aunt, I said, well, wow, if we had fought this far out, we could have really created a great roadmap throughout our <laughs> yeah. <year."> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it sounds like uh, Loveland ended up being its own character in your book.
3: Well, and, and that's because towns change just like people change and, and towns are reflective of society and um, I don't know. Yeah, that, that's why I kind of put that in there at the very end because um, it is it goes back, I think, to a sense of community. Just me understanding better of how Loveland changed in the 50s Mm -hmm. And things started making sense to me why I experienced what I experienced as a child in the seventies, you know, and it's all good stuff, but it's like, Oh, now I get it. (laughs) So (laughs) we we
1: cannot wait to read the book and we're going to do our challenge and some research. And we'd love to have you ladies back on, um, in a couple months, if you're up for it. Sure, as long yeah, as she doesn't have to leave the house. She loves this computer stuff, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know, that's something you couldn't do back in the day, huh? <laughs> that's for sure.
2: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that'll be awesome. Um, well, we can't thank you enough for sharing your voice and spending time with us today. And do you want to tell people again uh, the name of the book and where they can find you?
3: Oh, sure. The name of the book is Hunting Wildflowers. And it is available on Amazon. And the Facebook page is um, Loveland513. And I do have um, some local stores carrying it, which I think it just made me feel really good to have these small, particularly women-owned businesses carrying this book that's about small-town life and and women within the book. It's just kind of like a a whole through got goosebumps. So, um, yeah, so I think, um, and it's even in a couple of the libraries now, uh, Goshen, Mara, oh, that's
0: cool.
1: Hamilton County. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I just bought it now with one click. So Great. that's done.
1: <laughs> um, I got myself the signed copy.
0: Oh, there
1: nice. we go. Yes. Wait, there, there it is. Mm-hmm. Nice.
0: Because awesome. I met
1: Jeanette, was it just last month, December? Well, it was a Christmas um event, yeah, yeah. yeah. So your book had just come out then. It did. Mm-hmm.
3: It, it just came out in October, and um, we've sold over two hundred copies.
1: Oh um, wow! Congratulations. Fantastic. Yeah, two hundred and one.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and a lot of people, and one girlfriend of mine in particular, I hadn't talked to her and decades um but she sent me this random message from florida saying hey i bought your book and i've been reading it to dad and you know he is just loving this so i thought that was neat and the fact that you know the age difference in years and and, you know they're sharing a common bond with our book just like the bond we had writing it i thought that was really sweet
0: yeah i love that
3: so um, yeah, I, it's, it has been fun listening to, to what people are getting out of it. It really has been.
0: Yeah, well, we can't wait to talk to you about it again. So thank you so much for joining us tonight. And thank you, Follow Explorers, for listening to this episode. Get in touch with the Sirens at our website, www.sirensoapbox.com. And until next time, dive in. Stay curious and be happy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Siren Soapbox. And a special thank you to Sea strings for providing our music. Snag your latest EP from iTunes today. Follow the Sirens on all the social medias and don't forget to tell your friends about us. Like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll catch you next time on another episode of Siren Soapbox.